0: morning good afternoon good evening and welcome to the tt podcast now you'd be forgiven for thinking we've been transported back to 2012 this week but it is very much 2021 and mark cavendish has come full circle here to discuss Cav's rebirth with me is my co-host tom tom need i ask how you are uh
1: obviously i am just delighted with the way the last two days have gone it has um nothing else really matters because mark cavendish is winning bike races so uh let's get stuck in and talk about it
0: <laughs> i wanted to see um i've just gone back on our whatsapp conversation uh eight minutes past one in in the afternoon yesterday you messaged me saying i am so happy um, I, was, no context. I was sat
1: at work i was sat at work at that time as well so uh, that really puts it into perspective how much it improves my day
0: um, actually, interestingly, eight minutes past one again today, you messaged me saying, My word, what a man.
1: Well, uh, there's obviously a bit of a delay because I am sat at my desk. I'm going into the office. So I'm not watching this live. I have to wait until my phone starts buzzing because you've tweeted something and we're getting all the likes coming in. <laughs>
0: uh, that's good. We probably shouldn't know at the time of recording, uh, we have just had stage three of the Tour of Turkey. Mark Cavendish has won it in the leader's jersey. Um, this could go out tomorrow. This could go out the next day. For all we know, he's taken the overall by now. But before we get into Mark Cavendish and him being the best sprinter in the world again, let's touch on well, who I think is probably the best GC rider in the Peloton at the moment, which is Primoz Roglic, who won the Tour of the Basque Country. Tom, how much did you enjoy that race?
1: Um, yeah I'm not sure it's much of a hot take that you think Primoz Roglic is the best GC rider in the peloton but um, it's a controversial know, it's, one yeah <laughs> as we said last week like the uh, the Basque country just produces these climbs and it, it obviously makes for really exciting racing and um, yeah it was quite an interesting one that final uh, final day where he again sort of got away and um, just him and David Godu managed to get a bit of a gap on a really talented group behind. And I was surprised that uh, Roglic did look just so much stronger than everyone else who he's supposedly competing with.
0: Yeah, I think Roglic found himself in quite a fortunate situation where Team UAE obviously had Brandon McNulty in the leader's jersey um, and Pogaccio was, what, 40 seconds down on him in third going into the stage. So Pogaccio kind of had to ride for McNulty, but it was co- quite obvious early on that McNulty was going to struggle. Uh, I think yeah. as soon as they hit the early ramps, he was uh, going towards the back of the peloton. And um, Roglic knew that obviously they're going to have to figure out between themselves at which stage they're going to let Pogacar go. And Roglic wasted no time. He went off the front with about 70 Ks to go with a with a group that was obviously stage hunting and thought, hey, if I stay with you guys, you'll pull me all the way to the line and I'll get the uh, the 20 seconds I need to take the overall.
1: I probably only saw the last 10, 15 k but it looked like it was never really under threat, uh, that Roggens just seemed to cruise in. So that uh, you know, to take the overall and win it, um, to the extent that he was quite happy uh, to let um, godo take the stage win, which I know is may- maybe something you didn't expect.
0: Obviously, I'm, I'm a big Hugh Carthy fa- fan. I'm a big Hugh Carthy fan, and um, it would have been nice to see him take the stage win, but as soon as they hit that final climb, he was puffing at the back. Um, I think where the stage was really won here was the fact that Pogacha had no help in that group behind. It, it was too late before Valverde offered up his hand and Jumbo Visma played it tactically very well by assigning Jonas Vingegaard to be the pest of the day. Um, mm. He sat on Pogacar's wheel, watched his backside for probably the best part of 100 kilometres. Um, I'd be surprised if he didn't then follow him onto the team bus afterwards or follow him home. <laughs> but he he was an absolute star on the day really got into Pogacar's head. You could, there was a st- there was a bit where Pogacar was kind of pulled over to one side and was waving people through like, why aren't you helping me? I think that's why he was doing it. Either that or he was pulling down his um his team car because he was hungry. But he was getting no help and Roglic just ploughed through. Yeah, and that's
1: probably a sign of things to come uh, because we know how strong that Yombo visma team is. And everyone's pointed out already that uh, as talented as Pogacar is, he's probably going to struggle if he hasn't got the supporting cast around him.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think what I'd want to talk, touch on as well in this is obviously a lot of people were saying, hey, look, Roglic has learned his ways after Parry nice uh, If we kind going of to back to Paris-Nice, where that was that stage where Gino Marder, the youngster, was off the front, um, looking like he was going to win the stage, and Roglic caught him in the last, what, 100 metres, whipped round him and won the stage, and everyone was saying, hey, that's not very courteous, off you, Primos. You should have let him win. You obviously came on this podcast and said, hey, no gifts, the winner of the race should be whoever gets from point A to point B, or point A to point A, depending on the stage, Um, the fastest, without falling off their bike. Um, And on that stage, Roglic did that. We saw a slightly different situation this day. A lot of people, as I said, were saying that, hey, he's learned his lesson, he's decided to give his stage to Gordou, and in that way, he's made allies in the peloton for future, you know, whenever he needs him. Mm -hmm. This situation is very different to the Gino Marder one, I think. And it's worth pointing that out because the Gino Marder one, obviously Marda helped him. Well, didn't help him at all uh, in that stage. Marda was off the front by himself. Roglic had absolutely no interest in helping Marda or giving him any gifts. Uh, and as you said also before, what use is it to have bahrain Victorious as an ally? Um, <laughs> with, <laughs> with regards to this stage in David Godou, Goddu um, obviously helped him get to the line, helped him get that 40 seconds that he needed. They they work with each other. It was more a pact than a gift this time. It was like a mutually beneficial, you know, agreement that they had, where Godi would take the stage.
1: Is is exactly the phrase I was thinking in my head there.
0: Exactly. I mean, Godi yeah. gets the stage win, and you could see that in the in the pictures of before, where like Primož Roglič is celebrating as if you know David Godi is his son, and he's just whatever <laughs> scored a bicycle kick in Sunday League football. Obviously, he's not celebrating for God; he's celebrating because he's won it. But you can see—it's that image is the image of you know mutual uh, God. What's the noun for beneficial?
1: Uh, benefit.
0: Mutual benefit.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So yeah, I think it's it's worth making that distinction for people. You know, thinking that Roglic is now a nice guy. He is a nice yeah, guy. I mean, I don't know I him personally. Think, I'm sure he is.
1: I'm sure he is. I just don't think you can really compare the two situations at all. In one of them, Roglic is you know, hunted him down in a racing situation. And in the other, they've been working together for however many kilometres on the road. And as you said, reached a mutually beneficial arrangement. Roglic gets the overall and Godou gets the stage win. I've got no issue with any of this at all.
0: Right. Tom, do you want to talk about Mark Cavendish?
1: Yes, I do. He looks brilliant. Um, it's not just the fact that he's won now one, two in a row at the time of recording. Um you know, it's not just a fluke either. He actually seems to have come back into some form, which probably wasn't expected. Not just because of all the health issues he's had, but he is thirty-five now as well. But then there are a few other sprinters who've won big races at older ages. I remember Pataki it went on for a long time and just seemed to never. He lost that top-end speed a bit, but he was able to just go from well, go from a bit further out. He was still not slow at all. Um, and I think it gives Patrick Lefebvre and everyone at Quickstep, a, well, it's a nice problem to have, but it probably is a problem now because I don't think they were expecting to have to uh, factor Mark Cavendish into the equation when they were selecting their teams for the bigger races.
0: Well, it's exactly what you were saying there. I mean, look at the women's peloton as well. You've got Meek van Bluiten, who's still very much got her kick, and she's, what, approaching 40?
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. So, I'm. Um, This isn't the highest quality field. Um, Obviously, Ewan's not there. Sam Bennett's not there, who obviously is his main competition at Quickstep. And um, no one seems to know what Dylan Grunewagen's doing at the moment. And they probably are the top three sprinters in the world. But he's beaten, at the same time, Andre Greipel, and There's some... You know, he's going round and beating them comfortably, coming from behind them. And um, it does look like the cab of Old. He's just... He streaks ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, Tom, but I want to be realistic here. The only real people he's competing against in this race, hey, I'm taking nothing away from Mark Cavendish's wins. I think they're just as valid as the next person. But he's obviously competing against Andrea Greipel, who is 38 years old. Can't yeah. remember the last time he won a race. And Jasper Philipson, who is a good sprinter, but is, what, 23. He's inexperienced. He's riding for a team that's kind of still figuring out their lead-out train. Um but I mean, it, look, let's let's go back to the, so this. So the first stage one won was stage two. Yep. Absolute euphoria when he passes the line. Carton Kirby's voice is like quivering in the in the comms. Um, <clears throat> even Jasper Philipson, you know, as I say, 12 years his junior, was happy to see Mark Cavendish win as he went round him.
1: I think everyone was. They said, there was quite a few people said, just look at the respect he holds within the peloton. You can see how many people have come up to congratulate him straight away.
0: Hmm. But I think what's what's clear from the footage is that he hasn't lost that instinct. Like he might not have the same power against the likes of, as you say, Sam Bennett, Caleb Ewan, Wout van Aert, the best rider in the world. But <laughs> here we go. He he still got. He, he, I mean, he didn't have a lead out really in the last kilometer. Um, he picked the best wheel um, and then just jumped everybody from what fourth, fifth wheel, whipped round them and took them on the line.
1: Yeah, um... we've seen him do it
0: so many times.
1: We have. I mean, when he was at his peak, um, you just couldn't get near him. When he went, that was it. He opened up a gap of ten bike lengths straight away, and we haven't quite seen that yet. But uh, it's, I think it's been hugely impressive the way he, as you said, he's come from behind, come round, and looked quite comfortable doing it.
0: Something that I saw it was interesting as well about that stage was uh, somebody posted a very close-up photo, uh, video off. Him kind of winning the stage, and you can see that his chain either drops or snaps oh, yeah. as he goes over the line. Now I'm no engineer, and I have no idea why that happened. Um, I assume it's not just because you know he's he's putting out too many watts, and the power's kind of blown to pieces. I don't because think if,
1: it's like Matthew Van der Poel breaking his handlebars.
0: I mean, this is what I was gonna say. If if that was the case, Van der Poel would be getting through chains like yeah. doctors getting through surgical masks, like that. That I mean, that, Van der Poel's win on the Strade Bianche this year he'd have blown his chain into a million pieces. <laughs> um, I think it just was like a technical thing where, wherever the quick link must've hit the oh, whatever yeah, and happen. bumped yeah. on who knows what. Um, but it makes it look cool though, which is important.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I actually haven't looked too closely. I was too busy looking at Cav's face and listening to Carlton Kirby's voice break to con- to concentrate on the chain. But I did see a few people saying that it had happened.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Um Obviously, Lightning then struck twice, stage three, Cav wins again.
1: Yeah, I think he he had a bit of a lead out today, though, didn't he? He did mention that Fabio Jakobsen, good to see him back as well, and also a very good sprinter, but in his first race back since that horror crash, um, did find him, you know, a reasonable route through. Um, he said it was really windy, so it was quite a hectic finish, and then obviously just picked his mark to, with about 200 metres to go and left, left the field for dead again. Mm.
0: Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I want you to answer. Well, answer with both your head and your heart. Right. Is there a spot for Mark Cavendish in the Tour de France team this year? He's obviously very close to, you know, beating Eddie Merckx's record of stage wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I- now is... the this year is probably his only time he's going to do that.
1: I don't know. Without seeing the data, it's very difficult because you need to know how he would stack up against Bennett, basically. If you're that team, if you're the DS at uh, Quick Step, you've just got to take emotion out of it. I mean, you? you can't really answer that with the heart because you're talking about winning stages at the Tour de France. And Sam Bennett certainly deserves his chance if he is the quicker rider to do so as well. Not sure. Um, and, and you're never going to see the two of them compete against each other either, are you? So I don't know how you answer this question, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- th- I mean we can almost conclusively say there's a 95% chance Mark Cavendish will not be selected. Um, even if he does go, then they're, they're not going to take him just for the early stages. And I think there's a very slim possibility that he'll get over, you know, the mountains, the, the mountains, Pyrenees, yeah. the Alps, and make it into the final week. Um, I mean, I wouldn't
1: be surprised to see him at the Giro or the Welter. But Bennett, they've probably had this planned for a year now that he would be going to the tour again, Don't, obviously to defend the green jersey as well. Hmm. So it would be incredibly harsh on him to not take him. Um,
0: well, I mean, it's unlikely that they'll be there to support a GC contender. No, well, no, because
1: they'll. You'd think that's the other thing with Quickstep; they're going to give. Philippe that free roll you, I'm assuming he will be there and he's just going to go off and do his own thing and then the rest of them have to form a sprint train hmm. but there's no no you're right there's not going to be a GC man there unless Philippe pulls one out of the bag again
0: so yeah, that leaves you a number of other riders throw Cav it's already like, like a one make down. a wish thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think I don't think Cav would be comfortable if he he would only go if he thought he was good enough as well so a lot of it would probably be put in his hands we'll see but I mean, hopefully he keeps winning races and forces someone's hand. Really,
0: it's either he's going to have to force somebody's hand, or something very tragic is going to have to happen to Sam Bennett.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's obviously no one wants that to happen. But
0: well, uh, I think I can think of one person that might want something that to happen.
1: Are you talking about me, or are you talking about Mark Cavendish?
0: Well, I can think of two actually. Now that yeah. you said that,
1: <laughs> um, but uh, no, he's just going to have to keep winning races and. Uh, Give himself the best possible opportunity, but there's not that many opportunities for sprinters anyway. Um, it's the week-long races and the uh, and the Grand Tours. They don't they don't really get the one-day races to prove themselves, especially with uh, you know Milan-San Remo is not. I don't think as much of a sprint as classic as it used to be because it all comes down to that final climb. And mm. they, yeah, early season they don't have much chance to show themselves until Giro, I don't think.
0: No, and I was looking at obviously in a second. We're going to move on and talk about the Ardennes, which are coming up. And I was looking at the races for those, and there's not much room for sprinters there either.
1: Absolutely none at all.
0: No. And you'd think, I mean, it, obviously races that are raced in Holland and, and Belgium, generally quite flat, but uh, not a chance. Uh,
1: well, no, because they just, they just find cobbles and hills, little lumps everywhere, don't they?
0: Should we move on to the Ardennes then?
1: We will, because it's the best week of racing there is. Uh, I think my three favourite races, I love them. There's just something about them.
0: We knew this since the start of the year. I was going to go big on Strada Bianca. I knew as soon as we got to the Ardennes, you'd be singing its praises. Um, Absolutely. It's always interesting with the Ardennes, because even last year when they were delayed and they were presented kind of after the the World Championships, um, there's always one or two people that kind of really come to the fore in the Ardennes. Um, I, last year i really I think...
1: enjoy it. it's the same riders in all three races normally they do suit a particular profile and um yeah you just see them you know going at each other uh three times in the space of a week and i think it's great
0: so just to go through the itinerary that we're going to have we're going to have amstel gold race on sunday the 18th of april then three days later we've got flesh Wallon uh on wednesday the 21st of april and then liege Baston liege on Sunday, the 25th of April. Um, as you say, that's a week of hard-hitting races. Um, and Tom, I have it on good authority that you have prepared a quiz.
1: I have, of course, prepared a quiz. And I, I, it's quite a bit of multiple choice here, so I've gone easy on you. Ah. Um, but we'll, we'll start off with... Right, two, th- 2011 is the greatest single... Year that an individual cyclist has ever had. Okay, and that was that was of course Philippe Gilbert. Um, he won all three Ardennes classics, but he's not the first. And so I think you can see where this is going. Yes. He won. <laughs> <laughs> all in one year or in total. Yeah, in two thousand and four, uh, there was another rider who won uh, Amstel Gold, Flandron, Liege-Bastogne-Liege.
0: Is this multiple choice? Uh,
1: no, it's not because I thought that you might have googled this one thing. Before. No, you I might, should I have. You...
0: <laughs> I did such basic googling as well. Uh, I did an overview. I know that obviously Philip Schilber has won them a lot, and I can think of another rider that's won them quite a lot. Who's going to be my answer here? Um, but I, I, think I, really... I, gonna, I think I know who
1: you're going to. I think I know who you're going to say, and, I, and it's I... not. It's not him.
0: Yeah, I think it's wrong because I don't think he's won Amstel Gold. Um. So what I was, who I was going to say, is Alejandro Valverde. That is who I
1: thought you would say, and <sighs> that is incorrect.
0: Right, give me a clue. Um, who, were they, who were they riding for at the time?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'll tell you. He's Italian. I can tell you that much.
0: Italian, two thousand and four. Too early for Nibali. It's not Nibali. Hmm. Nope. Go on. Lay it on me.
1: No. Okay. It was a uh, Davide Rebellin.
0: Oh yes. See, I did know that he'd perform well. I mean, he's he's still going, and he's what like fifty these days, isn't
1: he? Yeah. Um. And yeah, he turned up in 2004 and won. Uh, won all three.
0: Have I made that up? I'm, that's probably unfair on him for me to guess his age at fifty. I'm gonna look that up for Davide's sake.
1: I do think that um, that Gilbert performance in 2011 though was just. He won every race coming. He won the uh, Brabantse uh, um as well. Oh, not I'm not sure Brabant's you've. On, I think it's called in French. But, not uh, sure you've
0: nailed the pronunciation on that one, Tom.
1: No. Uh, well, luckily, all these, um, well, apart from Amsterdam Gold, which is obviously in uh, Holland, um, the other two are in Wallonia, not Flanders. So they speak French, and I don't have to deal with the Dutch anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gilbert won that, which. Um, is a sort of warm-up race for the, the big three, and then he turned up. He, he just won everything coming. He turned up at stage one of the Tour de France and took the yellow jersey. It was just the best, as I say, one of the best individual years I think I've seen from any cyclist ever.
0: Um,
1: and I've been waiting to say this on this podcast since we started. This is this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is your chance. Well, if you, I mean, if he yeah. manages to win it again, I mean, he did say he's been what he took a bit of time off to get a bit of headspace. He's back now for the Ardennes. He so did he say could he's well coming win
1: back. It. Yeah, and. The, yeah. The, again, this is why I like them because it's that sort of racing as well. They all finish up a massive incline like short and sharp and they just suit these um, it just comes down to a shootout between all the punctures going up these they're all quite famous climbs as well one of Mm. which will come up in a minute (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) Just as an aside, I've looked up Davide Rebien's age and he is 49. He's 50 in August
1: And is he still racing?
0: He's still racing Yeah, he was racing in a a bike race recently that we we, um, previewed I can't remember which one but uh, yeah, he's still going.
1: Okay. Overall, across the three Ardennes classics, who has won the most? Is it Alejandro Valverde? Is it Eddie Merckx? Or is it Bernard Eno? Oh,
0: no. See, I want, I, I want to say Valverde because he's won, he's won like Fleschwell-Owned five times or something and he's won Liege-Baston-Liege four times or something. Maybe it's the other way around. Um, I don't think Eddie Merckx would have won them more than that. Well, maybe Eddie Merckx might have won Liège-Bastogne-Liège 20 times and then obviously that puts him in the lead. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say Valverde.
1: No. So Valverde has won, you you correctly said, Valverde has won nine and that is Fleshwell on five times and Liège-Bastogne-Liège four, I believe. Eddie Merckx has 10.
0: It's Merckx, isn't it? Why would I bet yeah. against Merckx?
1: <laughs> and uh, Bernardino has won five, but I couldn't tell you across which races that was. I just needed a third option in there for that one. <laughs> and I didn't want to put Philippe Gilbert because otherwise it just becomes all about him. How many has Phil
0: Jill won? Uh, six. Okay. Yeah. Did, you know, did you know that on the top of your head? or
1: uh, I did? I do now because I was looking at the list half an hour ago. <laughs>
0: And because you've got his Palmares tattooed on your forearm.
1: Well, that as well, obviously, yeah. Um, but the next question is, uh, Flesh Wallon finishes up the fearsome uh, murder, We uh, Obviously, butchered the pronunciation there as well, but it's a That was fabulous. And I think that was really good. <laughs> um, so, I've been on Strava, had a look at the segment, and I want to know who has the uh, quickest time up there. Uh, see, is I... It- i've got multiple choice for you okay <laughs> are you about to tell me that you were having a look at these earlier
0: no i wasn't yes i did go on strava and i did look because i had <laughs> guessed that your question would be what is the max gradient so i was like right i'm gonna look at the max gradient oh. if you want to know the max gradient is 26 percent. by the way i thought that was going to be the answer but it's not
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh well i almost thought about doing a quiz i was going to do the uh, the Coburg and the cold de la redoute as well just all three of them because <laughs> but i thought i'd I think the murder who is the worst one, so uh, yeah, uh, just stuck with that. But is it? Uh, I can tell you that the top ten times all came from last year's flesh wallot lot, and they flew up it. Um, well, evidently, Mark Hershey won the race, and he must not be on Strava because he's not one of the options here. Ugh. But um, is can it, I guess
0: before? Can I guess before you? You can, yeah. Give the options. Yeah. So. I remember, oh no, I think I've come across. becoming a bit too cocky here now. Um, I was going to say Benoit Cosnefroy because I know that he did well. He came like second or something in that race. And I think he came from far behind at the foot of the climb and then flagged a bit against Hershey at the end. He would be my answer. Is he one of the three? Do you want me to give you the options? <laughs> give me the options. He's not one of the options, is he? No, he's not. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: Okay. The, op- go on. <laughs> the options are um, Mick Woods, Richie Port, or Mikhail Kwiatkowski.
0: Right, Richie Port was up there. He might have come third last year. Michael Woods.
1: Correct. Yes. If only you'd waited for the options.
0: Get in. I'm going to take that as a win, even though I jumped in and got it wrong before.
1: Okay. Well, moving on. This will be a complete guesswork for you. Now, Math- Mathieu Van Der Poel is the reigning Amstel Gold champion, um, but as we know, he comes from great cycling genealogy. What I want to know is which of the three Ardennes classics did his father Adrie Van Der Poel not win?
0: Oh, see, I know and Adrie. I know Adrie won. Amstel Gold. He's definitely, definitely won Amstel Gold. Because there was a big thing at the time about how Van der Poel's won the race that his dad won. Is it his dad? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that leaves me so with a you, 50-50. you
1: narrowed it down to the 50-50. Um,
0: Adrie Van der Poel. I'm going to try and channel him. Which one would he have not won? And I'm going to guess La Fleche Wallonne. You've got it. I just thought it as a punchy climb, you know? If you're winning Amstel Gold, you're not necessarily going to win Flesh Wallone as well. They're completely different finishes. That was yeah, my I logic. Mean,
1: that, that, as it says, the Murder we that is just brutal. Whenever you see that, as a 26% gradient, as he said, like compared to, um, I don't think Amstel Gold's that bad. It's made for Philippe Gilbert because he won the world championships there as well. But
0: um... I mean, Flesh Wallone is one of those races where, you, you know, you have those races where it's like, well, don't worry about the whole, you know, the amble before. Make sure you get to the last 10 kilometres. With flesh yeah. alone, it's make sure you watch the last kilometre. Not even that, the last, like, 900 metres. No, oh, it's
1: like the last 400 metres. It just goes off. They're so slow up it. Well, not slow, but, you know, relatively speaking.
0: Yeah. It's, um, uh, I mean, they're just pulling their bike over the line at the end. It's, oh, uh, it's
1: hideous. It's great to watch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that climb in uh, the World Championships in Innsbruck in 2018, uh, I think it was called hell, and it maxed out at something just short of thirty percent. and um some riders had to get off and push, and it like completely unreasonable. <laughs> completely hit a wall. yeah uh, okay, well, the last one this is the require... thing I mean if, if you had to take on challenges like that in your regular day to day job, you'd go straight to hR.
1: yeah, oh no, I mean they're quite well paid for it. and if you would oh, I mean, I'd love to be able to do it if i would I'm just not fit enough.
0: No. Well, I mean, as we've as we've heard from our episode with Harry Tanfield, whenever I got into a 25% gradient, I literally fell off my bike. So, uh, we'll see. I'm going to train up this summer, get myself back that up you, north. That's what
1: you bought the new one for?
0: Yeah, the Trek i on. a climber's bike.
1: And you've, She's um, going to carry you, me.
0: I'm going to float. I know.
1: You've scraped quite a bit of paint off it now as well, haven't you? So it should be really light. <laughs>
0: Don't <laughs> mention it. It's really upsetting me. I've booked it in for the service and it's going in in... Just over a week, and I just can't think of the words to say to break it to them.
1: This shocked looked on their face. Shocked looks on their faces when they, uh, when they see what you've done to her. Anyway, shall we get this last question out of the way?
0: Was this question five? I've got what one. This so is far. question
1: five. Um, so far you got Mick Woods once I gave you the answers, and you've um you got flesh while on there, so you're doing okay. I'm on a roll. What I, what I want to know is. As, as you're well aware, liege Baston liege is the uh, oldest race, the oldest monument in the uh, of the five, uh, first run in 1892. Oh, I thought that was going to be the question. No. Since that time, there have been 59 Belgian winners, and unsurprisingly, that is the most. I want to know which country is second. Is it France, Italy, or the Netherlands?
0: Liege-Bastogne-Liege. Right. 1892 let's let's think through this logically so if we're thinking around you know your 30s and 40s and 50s they were dominated really by the belgians and the italians
1: i can i can tell you now the 59 belgians the next country has 12 victories
0: oh wow okay yeah. so this again it's just guesswork um yeah.
1: the the three countries i've listed to you there one of them's got 12 one of them's got five and one of them's got four.
0: Right. You said Bernardino won five races. It could be, for, I don't think it's France. And I don't think it's the Netherlands. I think it's Italy. No, why would I think it's? It? Yeah, no, don't double guess. It's Italy. Italy, final, final answer, Tom.
1: Final answer. I, I don't want to play this like who wants to be a millionaire because we haven't really got the attention of a studio audience, but you are correct. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and when we was the last it, time uh, an Italian won it? Because I don't think that would have been for years. I oh, reckon that was probably in that's like, a good the, the 80s or still, something. I
1: think I've still got the list up here. The uh, Age Bastard on the Age. The last time an Italian won it was uh, Danilo De Luca in 2007.
0: Oh, okay. Good for him.
1: And your claim that it can't have been since the 80s does fall apart a bit because you know that Davide Rebellin won it in
0: 2004. Uh, we, have, okay. <laughs> we did just discuss that. Sorry, I do the editing. I'll cut that bit out. Um that's it for the quiz. You've got sixty percent. That's admirable. Um should we give some predictions? I'm not gonna ask us to predict all three because that's gonna be a bit dull.
1: Uh okay. Well, I'm happy to line up a prediction for Liege Baston Liege, obviously the finest monument. Okay. That
0: should never be considered substituting with Strada Bianchi. So I think liege the liege is the one for me that's the hardest to predict. I, I'm going to predict... Right, I'm going to give two... I'm going to predict Tom Pidcock to shine. I don't know if he'll win, but I think he'll do really well across the Ardennes. Mm-hmm. And I think... Or... Oh, Wout van Aert for Amstel Gold.
1: I'm quite tempted to line up Van der Poel for the triple. I think he could do it. Not a chance. <laughs> um. Otherwise, liege on liege uh, suits someone a bit less punchy, so I will. Uh, Julian Anna Philippe, okay, uh, okay. Oh, we've done it again between the three of us. We've just said, well, why art, Julian Alaphilippe, Philippe, van der Poel. It's just pointless, <laughs> right? Well, let's go,
0: let's go, right? Women's Peloton. Um, I think what well, obviously Van Van Vluten is in fine form at the moment, but I don't think she'll win, she'll win one of them. I don't know which one, I think. Cassia Nuadoma doma will also win. I think Canyon-Sram need a win. I don't think they've got any wins so far this season. Uh, she won, I think it was Amstel Gold in 2019 when it was last ran, um, So she well, can repeat that.
1: I know who I'm going to say, and that's because when going through all this Arden trivia, I know that Anna van der Breggen has won the most out of any woman. Uh, with She has eight victories across the three races. And I just think it suits her style as well. She's she's that kind of rider, and she's got the form as well. So she would be my call for any of the three, to be honest.
0: God, it must be tough for you, Tom, predicting the two world champions to win bike races.
1: Yeah, they just always stick with the Dutch.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, as we say, we've we've said that's going to be happening over the next week or so. Um, we'll be watching those. We'll be keeping a very close eye on those and no doubt we will be posting stuff on social media about those tom if people want to see what we post where can they find it
1: they can find us as always at ttpdcst which is tt podcast with no vowels uh, and that is on twitter and instagram
0: wonderful tom as always it's been a pleasure speaking about cycling with you uh thank you everybody for listening and we will be back very soon thanks everyone take care